The Sport Industry Access Podcast, Episode 39. What are the advantages of hosting a major sporting event? Welcome to another episode of the Sport Industry Access Podcast. I am your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who is a sports professional in a specific field in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in sport. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is David Grevenberg. David is the Chief Executive Officer at the Commonwealth Games Federation. For over 15 years, he's worked with some of the most iconic sport organisations like Disabled Sports USA and the International Paralympics Committee. In 2014, David was heavily involved with the organisation of the 2014 Glasgow Commonwealth Games. For his services after the Games, David was awarded a CBE from Her Majesty the Queen. I can happily say that I'm very privileged to have the opportunity to interview David as a special guest on the show. That's why in today's show, David will share his sports career journey and explain what the advantages are for countries hosting a global sporting event. David, it's a privilege to have you on the show. Please, can you share your sports career journey to listeners? When did it all start? Well, it really started from uh, the tender age of about eight years old when I got involved uh, with the wonderful sport of uh, judo. Uh, and uh, that uh, went on to um, a career in uh, wrestling uh, that is uh, freestyle wrestling, not da- Daddy Haystack's uh, <laughs> wrestling. Uh, freestyle, a uh, bit of Greco-Roman, and of course folk style, which is what we, uh, which is what we compete in the United States and in uh, high school uh, and university, um, and and really from there I just found a love for the power of sport, and uh, as I say, the rest is history. But it did propel me um, into uh, extending my involvement in sport through a professional career in sport administration and management, which I've been uh, essentially doing for the past 22 years. Well, would you mind explaining to the listeners your academic background? Well, um, I, I obviously uh, did my uh, my high school studies, uh, which was, uh, what we would say, a university prep, uh, preparatory uh, uh, university. I then went in um, and did a bachelor's of science uh, with a minor in business administration. Uh, from Springfield College in the United States, which is just outside of uh, Boston. Um, and that uh, was a focus on sports management. Um, I went back, uh, went into the work uh, the work world uh, shortly after the end of my wrestling career, got a bit of experience. Um, and then after the Atlanta 1996 games, I went back and did my uh, master's. And I did a master's of science in sports administration uh, with, with a focus on management and marketing um, and also a passion for leadership. Just looking back with regards to your academic, sort of what you've studied, how has that supported you now with regards to your career? Having got the basis 
uh, at Springfield College. Uh, Springfield uh, is known as the birthplace of basketball, uh, the uh, birthplace of volleyball, but it was uh, in, in, in many cases just an amazing place to meet uh, industry professionals uh, and expand an, an enormous network. And so I really relied on that network um, all throughout my career. I think going to work after my my uh, you know my, my, my initial studies and then uh, going back and reflecting through my master's program, it was ideal because I had actually real world experience that I could relate to and really expand upon. And so I felt that there was real value of uh, kind of that uh, almost reflective period of about two years um, during my master's program. Of course, I was working and running my own business at the same time as I was doing my master's. So I was also able to put some of this real world theory into into the program. And so, um, you know, I felt that that was just invaluable as well. Just for any student who wants to work in the sports industry, how competitive is it? You know, I think uh, you know, I think it is uh, as competitive as you make it. Um, there's something for everyone in in, in sport. Uh, sport needs humanity. Uh, you know, people need to volunteer in sport. Uh, if you're trying to make a professional career in sport, it really depends on what your ambitions are. Um, you know, if you want to, to you know, to, to, to run giant marketing programs uh, through sport, if you want to run major events, if you simply want to, to work and, and not so simply work in governance and, and, and the development of sport, um, you know, you really just need to uh, get as much experience and, and, and build uh, a network as big as possible. Um, but, uh, you know, it really is uh, a bit about expanding your brand and you need to get your brand out there. Um, and, you know, I, I'd have to say uh, your brand is really a reflection of your values. It's a reflection of, uh, you know, what you do with those values in terms of the culture that you create and then ultimately how uh, you present your character and your personality. That is how your brand is positioned. And it's absolutely critical in the world of sport that you're cognizant of all of that because, uh, you know, one Christmas night out can be the end of your, 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 your career. In your opinion, then, what core skills have helped you during your career? You know, I think uh, reflection, uh, taking a degree of, uh, of humility and humbleness um, to, to the standpoint of I, you know, I had as much to, to learn as I had to contribute from each situation. And whilst I mean, I thought I knew it all at certain points, I still uh, tried to listen as much as possible. And I think I've gotten better with that um, as I've gotten older. Um, but I, I, I would have to say that, uh, you know, I, I, listening to people, learning from people, particularly in the international sporting world, uh, where you're working with so many different cultures. Um, I had the experience of really starting off my uh, professional career with Paralympic sport, uh, which is, uh, you know, fairly intricate and very complex. Um, and working with uh, different disability cultures, working with different sporting cultures, and then, of course, ethnic and national cultures, and re even regional cultures, and trying to get all of that to work together. And I, I, you know, I, I would say listening um, and looking at things, uh, being very cognizant of your values and not always imposing your values on others. And I think that those are, you know, that degree of humility and, and, and recognizing you may not have all the answers, but you may be you may be able to contribute to the answers. And I, I'd have to say that's probably the one thing that you know throughout my sporting career that's uh, that's helped me enormously. That sounds really interesting. Would you mind, from your experience, how you've seen Paralympic sport develop then over the years? You know, I I, I came at uh, came into Paralympic sport uh, in the early '90s, um, and 
it was uh, it was just in the lead up to the Atlanta uh, 1996 Paralympic Games. Um, I was uh, working with the U.S. team uh, at the time, and you know I, uh, the legitimacy in terms of uh, uh, Paralympic sport as elite sport uh, was virtually absent at the time. Uh, there was a real struggle uh, with uh, athletes within the Paralympic movement um, to feel as if they were uh, considered, regarded as legitimate elite performing athletes. Um, and so, uh, you know, with legitimacy uh, over time equals credibility. So essentially what we started to do was set high performance standards. And so I worked very, very closely uh, with uh, the International Paralympic Committee at the time and the U.S. Olympic Committee um, and many others in establishing uh, qualification standards and high performance standards, which eventually uh, got me some notice and notoriety and which led to uh, me being appointed as the first uh, sport director of the International Paralympic Committee in, in 1999. But what I saw in terms of the transition was a medical model participation based community to a high performance uh, professionally staffed movement and it, it was a it was a major transformative process uh, between 1994 to 2000 and then it took another leap uh, in the lead up to 2008 and then a further leap into 2012 as a, a legitimate high performance uh, sporting movement um, you know and i think from that standpoint it has come in an enormous way but there's so many wonderful lessons that can be uh, learned uh, from that journey of the international paralympic committee in you know, uh, developing a strategy and sticking to it about building consensus um, and uh, you know ultimately uh, you know just delivering what you say you're going to deliver uh, time and time again and ultimately your brand uh, and your movement grows. I found this really interesting, and it sort of relates to today's main topic. What are the advantages of hosting a global sporting event for a country? You know, it, we're in the business of creating people's proudest moments. You know, at the end of the day, that's what sports administrators, that's what these major events are, are people's proudest moments. And so, you know, when you're, you're looking when whether you're working in an emerging market, whether you're working in a regenerative market or even a sustained market, major sporting events are representative of a journey and a point in time milestone, a defining moment in many respects that everyone has the ability to work toward to make it a success. It is a great galvanizer. It's a, it's a definer. It defines people on that journey the good, the bad, the great, and the ugly. And it really is very much, um, you know, I, I would say a catalyst when used right to be a launch pad for future ambitions. Um, and these, these major events, you know, can physically transform communities. They can socially transform uh, communities and, and broaden uh, people's uh, ambitions, you know, and, and, you know, and ultimately economically it can be an enormous stimulus you know, I look back at Glasgow, uh, where I was the chief executive, and it was uh, it, 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 it had a little bit of uh, all of those aspects in terms of the ambition of the city. But I think the important point was is that these major sporting events are only as good as they're used as part of a longer journey. 
they are just part of a longer journey. Would you mind explaining to listeners, I know you've just mentioned it briefly with regards to involvement with the Glasgow Commonwealth Games, from an academic point of view, would you mind explaining the organisation process with regards to those games from start to finish? Yes, um, we say from, from cradle to grave, so to speak, uh, you know, when you, when you start off, um, you know, I, I joined uh, Glasgow 2014 in, uh, in 2009, uh, but the, I would say the, the interest and the courage to uh, actually uh, want and pursue hosting the games started in Manchester in 2002 when Glasgow City Council and a number of people in Scottish sport who were involved um, in and around the periphery of those games um, said, we could do this too. And in 2006, 2007, uh, a bid was pursued and a bid was ultimately won. Now, from there, in 2008, the financial crisis hit, uh, hit the world. Um, and whilst an organizing committee uh, was being established, um, there was a real, uh, I would say, concern that these games uh, were, war- were awarded under a certain condition. And is it still the right question uh, to, to pursue? Is it still the right thing to do? Um, and so the, the games in many respects became uh, a focal point of, okay, if we're gonna do this, we need to do it right and we need to do it responsibly. And as a result, the organizing committee uh, was really uh, comprised of a good mix of public, private, and third sector working together. And that was something in terms of true uh, partnerships with clear roles and responsibilities, with clear ownership of different aspects of the journey, the planning phase, the delivery phase, and ultimately the legacy um, and, and impact phase. Um, you know, there was a there was clear delineation of uh, roles and responsibilities. I came on um, in 2009, uh, just right after that uh, organizing committee had been uh, really set up um, and started to work with the partners um, in that in, in, in that respect. And was uh, I came in initially as director of operations and officer um, and, and then was promoted to chief executive role. Uh, really for the last uh, three years. Um, And that gave me a perspective of partnership working, the importance of getting the most out of your people, um, but also uh, really understanding and living your brand. And what we needed to do was actually live and understand and not, not only believe in, but also amplify what it meant to be the Commonwealth, what it meant to be Glasgow, what it meant to be Scotland, and as an and, and, and as an American, um, it was a fantastic uh, place to be because, as I said uh, in some of my opening remarks, uh, I had a lot to learn, but I also felt I had a lot to contribute. And so I have to say that you know, on any of these journeys, the more you can learn and the more you can contribute, the better an event will be, and the more, better that people work in partnership, uh, the, 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 the better these events will be. Just reflecting back now, because I can't believe I'm saying it's three years from the Glasgow Games. What have you learned from it? Putting you on the pressure a little bit. Oh, you know, it's, it's so, so much, you know, and I, I think I, as I reflect and, you know, Christmas time is always a great time to reflect. Um, you, 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 you just, you know, couldn't be more appreciative of, you know, of, of what, 
we were allowed to accomplish um, by the people of Glasgow. Couldn't be more appreciative of, of uh, getting the most out of people um, and people rising to the, uh, the challenge and the occasion. Um, you know, I think if I, really, if I really look back at some of the things that we, we ultimately we, we did is that, you know, we, we, we built a, an environment and a culture of trust that a major sporting event could deliver uh, well on its promises. You know, whether that was raising six million pounds for children or whether that was just delivering the games on time and, and under budget um, and making it, you know, and, and filling uh, you know, uh, our seating capacity to 96%, you know, it was an, it was an amazing event on, 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 on a number of fronts, but building trust was absolutely uh, critical. It was, it also, um, I think it was a, a great reflection of raising the bar. We, we did things very different, um, not just because we weren't trying to be a mini Olympics in Glasgow, we were trying to be a Commonwealth Games in Glasgow and none of us had done that before. And so that really was a way of just challenging ourselves to raise the bar and do things a bit different. And that, that, that was fantastic. I, I think the, uh, the other two quick points, I think we also won together and celebrated all along the journey our successes, and that was so critical, absolutely so critical. And then ultimately, our total focus was on delivering on the day, delivering on the day. And we recognize, I think, uh, that some of us were more anxious and some of us were more ambitious, and that we were able to control that uh, anxiety and harness uh, harness that ambition. And, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, we were we were very, very uh, successful. David, I, I find this really, really interesting. The one thing that always highlights to me during that Glasgow Games, not much the more sporting events, but I always thought of Glasgow with regards to the work you were involved in, with regards to the community and the events outside the stadium. How important is that with regards to a global event? It's not just what happens in the stadium. A lot of it's just as important what goes off outside the stadium. Well, you know, we... we... At the same, you know, one of the things that we had done with Glasgow City Marketing Bureau and Glasgow City Council was a rebranding exercise of the city, uh, and that's that, that brand became People Make Glasgow. And you know, if we weren't highlighting and celebrating our people across the city, whether that was in the East End or the West End or the South Side or the North Side, we weren't living on that promise. We weren't positioning the city's greatest asset uh, on a global stage well enough. Um, so we really created a call to action, call to action to make the games, uh, the people's games, to make the games, uh, you know, games that, uh, you know, people could really wrap their arms around and say, we're hosting this, this is ours. Um, and, you know, I think that that, that degree of selflessness um, was really critical for me and my my my, my management team uh, for for the board that I had the privilege of working uh, for uh, and with uh, and you know all all the partners. This was bigger than all of us. And and what was particularly important was that beyond that it was for children and families and you know and we and we created an environment that had a little bit of something for everyone. And that uh, if you really wanted to be a part of it, if you were proud of your city, if you love sport uh, and you wanted to discover what your Commonwealth really was, 
this was a great opportunity for you to do that. And people, you know, dare I say, you know, Glasgow and its citizens um, embraced this as their own um, and really made it their own. And, you know, it, it was uh, it was as much of a, a you know, privilege as it was as it was a you know, I would say a defining moment, you know, in, in so many people's lives, you know, and so people were felt quite, uh, you know, quite lucky to, to, to be in that place at that time. Just touching back, though, relating to your career now, what have you been up to recently? About one week after I uh, finished my, my role at Glasgow 2014, I started uh, a new uh, position with the Commonwealth Games Federation as the, as the uh, CGF's uh, CEO. Um, and uh, since then, I've been working on uh, the, the development and, and ultimately the rollout of a new strategic plan called Transformation 2022, um, which is really galvanized uh, the, the Commonwealth sport movement, not as just a movement based on games, but everything in between and using the power of sport to build peaceful, sustainable and prosperous communities globally. Um, and so obviously major sporting events is one component of that, but we also have development programs and ultimately uh, the people in sport make that happen. Um, and so uh, we have a, plan, a strategic plan that we're working to. Uh, we obviously have our games. Uh, we, have, uh, we had Samoa in 2015, which was our youth games, which uh, we had about a thousand uh, young people uh, come to Samoa from 64 countries uh, competing in eight sports. Um, and, and uh, ran a ter terrific event. Um, we also, uh, uh, of course, are very focused on the Gold Coast 2018 Commonwealth Games. Um, and if, and, and uh, you know, before I forget, we also have ba Bahamas 2017 Youth Games uh, later uh, this year in, in July. So, uh, you know, no, no rest for the wicked, um, as they say, and we're, we're, we're continuing to push forward a, a, a long-term strategy, but also run some uh, fantastic major events. Sounds like you've always got a lot on. Just out of interest, though, David, what have you enjoyed the most looking back from your career? You know, I, I've had the privilege of, you know, working and, and traveling to about 78 countries worldwide. And, you know, I, I, I really enjoy listening to people's love for sport and what sport means to them, how sport has been transformative, uh, big or little. Uh, you know, and it's something I, I just absolutely am passionate about is, is you know, as, as Nelson Mandela said, you know, the power of sport, you know, has the ability to change the world. And, you know, in many, many respects, you know, I, I've seen it before my eyes. You know, I'm living proof of it. Um, you know, some of the work that I've had the privilege of being involved with is a living proof of it. Um, you know, so you know, I'm 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 pretty much an evangelist when it comes to the power of sport, uh, and I've really enjoyed you know getting to meet people, expand expand our network, but but ult but ultimately uh, create some amazing impact with uh, with programs that I uh, you know have had the privilege to be be involved with. I think you've also just highlighted a really key point that sport is all about people at the end of the day and how it brings people together, most importantly. And I feel like we're at a great stage of the interview where I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. What advice would you give to university sports students who want to pursue a career in the sports industry? I have a quote um, that I actually have uh, written 
some time ago. And it was when I left the International Paralympic Committee and, and moved to, to Glasgow. And essentially, I was, I was at a point where of great reflection because I'd been with the, the Paralympic movement for about 16 years up to that point. And really, um, I was trying to encapsulate everything that I had witnessed and, and seen. And the name of the quote is Daring Greatly. And basically defining what it is to dare greatly. To dare greatly is putting ourselves out there for the world to see, having the courage to stand up for our principles and beliefs, challenging ourselves and others for the sake of a common or uncommon cause or purpose, dedicating ourselves to a pursuit, a journey, an odyssey, looking for the good within every person and respecting them and not fearing them, remembering, appreciating, and learning from our past contemplating our present and planning for our future, forgiving and reconciling, giving graciously and receiving humbly, dreaming in only possibilities, thinking the unthinkable, believing in the unbelievable, and achieving the impossible. This being said, sport dares each of us to dare greatly. Wow, what a great quote. Um, David, you <laughs> got me pretty much speechless there. Um, really some great powerful words. How can people interact with you? You know, if, you, if, if you're interested in uh, getting in touch with me, just come to the, uh, the Commonwealth Games uh, Federation. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to watch this space, as they say. We're, we're, we're on the move. Um, and we've got some great events uh, headed our way. And uh, we'll continue to do uh, some great things with the power of sport. So, yeah, we look forward to, if you're interested, uh, come and find us. That is great to all the listeners listening in. All of the website details will be on my website relating to this blog post. David, it's been great chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ed. Wow, what an incredible interview by David. And I really do hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. For me, global sporting events has always been a topic which I've always found really interesting. Not just the Commonwealth Games, but also that Olympic movement. And to me, after this interview, I learned that a global sporting event isn't just about what happens in the stadiums or what it's all about for the athlete's point of view. For me, it adds more value to that. And David explained it really well with regards to the process, but most of all the values it can have to a nation's culture, highlighting what the people about, but also about bringing people together. Like, as we spoke about with Glasgow, for me... He explained it really well, David, with regards to how the Commonwealth Games rebranded Glasgow. And to me, that is great to hear how sport can have positive change to a society, but also to a country. And that's where in elite sport, which we sometimes forget, we always think about the commercial side of sport, but we don't really highlight enough of how it can have a positive impact from a nation's point of view so from an academic purpose I really do hope you have another listen and really take on the pointers that David was saying because with regards to your essays there is some great inspirational stuff which you can apply but from a employment point of view I hope you took on board what David was saying because there is some great career advice which you can apply to your sports career journey 
Now, as always, at the end of each interview, I like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. David said a wonderful quote. To dare greatly is putting yourself out there for the world to see, having the courage to stand up for our principles and beliefs, challenging ourselves and others for the sake of a common or uncommon cause or purpose, dedicating ourselves to pursue a journey and odyssey, looking for the good within every person and respecting them and not fearing them, remembering and appreciating learning from our past contemplating our present and planning for your future dreaming in any possibilities thinking the unthinkable and believing the unthinkable and achieving the impossible this being said sport bears each of us to dare greatly